Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Join us each month to hear ideas, inspiration and practical advice from people making change through music. These conversations are hosted by me, Anita Holford of Music Education Works and Writing Services. So I'll be focusing in particular on breaking down barriers to music through communication and advocacy, but from quite a broad perspective. I really hope you'll enjoy them. And now on with the show. Hello, it's Anita here and welcome to this month's podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Ruth Jones about the value that the growing workforce of freelancers bring to this sector and the issues and challenges they face. Now, Ruth is really well placed to talk about this as she's worked in music and arts education for many years. At one time, she was CEO of Artswork, the National Youth Arts Development Agency, and she's got an incredible CV that takes in being a musician, a researcher, a trainer, a mentor, an author of well-regarded publications for the arts sector, running social justice organisations, and now very definitely a portfolio worker with a range of roles. And this is um, what I've said about her, having read her CV, not what Ruth says about herself. So (laughs) I could have said more really, but those are just some edited highlights. So a really massive welcome, Ruth. It's really great to be talking to you today. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to our chat. So why I thought you'd be interested in hearing from Ruth is that many of us making change through music are or work with freelancers from freelance music tutors to project managers, fundraisers, comms people like me and creative producers. According to the Creative Industries Federation, 47% of workers in the sector are self-employed compared with 15% across the workforce as a whole. And according to Creative and Cultural Skills, self-employment will exceed the number of people working in the public sector by next year. In the creative sector, we all talk to young people about the fact that there are radical changes happening in our world. Many of the jobs of the future don't yet exist, and the skills learned through creative and cultural learning are going to be needed more than ever before. And many or most of those jobs or roles are likely to be freelance or certainly micro-businesses. So how do we prepare for this next stage and support young people coming through as well as the existing workforce of freelancers? So Ruth, you've had a a really rich and varied portfolio career yourself. So I wanted to start by asking you about your career journey. How did you end up where you are today? And why is it so important to you personally that freelancers and portfolio workers are recognised and supported? Crikey, how did I end up where I am today? Um, I think that, well, early on, I was actually a teenage single parent um, living with New Age Travellers, but I was absolutely obsessed with playing in bands. I loved it. I thought it was the best thing in the world, and I wanted everybody else to be able to play in a band. And I was able to benefit from opportunities that I was given by the youth service in those days. Do you remember the youth service? Oh, my goodness, what was that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. So um, some fantastic youth workers really encouraged me and empowered me by giving me opportunities to get involved in projects and teaching me leadership skills and project management skills. And I kind of ended up working in the arts like many people one day looking back and thinking how did that happen it's kind of I didn't leave school um wanting to be well a a teenage single parent and b I didn't leave it wasn't a career option would you like to freelance in the arts it wasn't it wasn't there and I think many people that I know who come into the world of freelance are not quite sure where they've got how they've got there 
and actually this inspired myself and a um, friend and colleague of mine, Juliet Brain, to start running training courses to encourage people to, to look backwards and map how they arrived at that point. And That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and uh, there's so many different routes. And they would always be astounded when they looked back um, and astounded that somebody would ask them. But the point of doing that was to try and look forwards and to try and plan where you're going in the future and take control of your freelance career. That sounds really interesting. So I just wanted to pick up on that youth work experience. Were the opportunities that you were getting in the arts or was it other wider kind of activities? It was, it was in the arts, really. The first thing that I was asked to do was to organise a battle of the bands and it, it really satisfied my slightly bossy streak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, organising organizing the venue and the event and organising prizes and that sort of fed my interest in projects and project management. And I suppose if something like the Arts Awards had been around in those days, I would have been a prime candidate. I would have loved that. And so after that, that kind of experience of doing stuff, maybe a little bit informally, what was your first proper job or proper freelance role? Or what was your early career like? Where, where were you then in your early career? So I ended up working for two different youth services, Wiltshire Youth Service and Dorset Youth Service, as a creative arts coordinator, because in those days, local authorities could not only afford to run a youth service, but they could also afford to um, employ somebody to encourage arts development across their services. And then went on and managed to get some contracts to do some arts council work, which encouraged other young people to apply for funding to make their projects happen. And so from there, did you go on to arts work or was there, were there other jobs in between? Arts work, yes, I was also doing some arts work work. That was um, way before I was salaried. So arts work used to happen on a county by county basis. Um, so I was able to get involved in organising the local county festivals. And in those days, it was a major youth arts festival. So I sort of cut my teeth on getting involved in that as well. And it was great to later on in my career, work for Arts Award and end up being director. Director of, of Arts Work, of yeah. Arts work, and yeah. then And now you do actually work for Arts <laughs> Awards, that's right, isn't it? And at the moment, yes. what are the, the jobs that you're doing at the moment? At the moment, I'm mainly working in two different areas. One is I work for Wiltshire Music Connect, which is the music education hub for Wiltshire and I also work for Trinity College London where I specialise in arts award in music context and music settings. Oh, brilliant and then all sort of the thread along a lot of this has been that you are really interested in kind of working with freelancers and supporting them and also you've done quite a bit of training and mentoring around freelancing. Yes yeah and I, mean, I think that was um, sparked off by that realising fairly early on that none of us appeared to be deliberately ending up in freelancing and actually I've had two kind of major periods in my life where I've mainly been a freelancer and the first time was the one that I've described which is I fell into it and I needed some work so I was actively looking for work that I could do to make up the equivalent of a full-time salary but the second time I had ended up being the director of a non-arts organisation, 
and I wasn't happy. I was missing working in the arts. And what I did was um, this time I meticulously planned my way back into freelance and I worked with an occupational psychologist and did lots of tests and lots of research. She's the occupational psychologist said, basically, in the job you're in at the moment, you're a tiger in the box and you've got to get out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did a lot of consultation with people, a lot of research to check whether the work was out there. And when I launched this time, instead of running around madly and doing anything that I could get my hands on, I held my nerve. I wanted to be a youth arts specialist. So I turned down even offers of work that were not to do with youth arts. There were lots of bits and pieces that I could have done, but I focused on um, youth arts, young people in the arts. And it paid off. That's an area that I'm really interested in is how, as a freelancer, you do have to have that resolve. And it's almost like with organisations, um, they're far more effective if they have a vision, a mission and values. And as freelancers, we kind of need to do that in order to sort of be happy in our work as well as feeling that we're going to deliver change. Yeah, that makes absolutely. the well-being, doesn't it, really? So do you want to tell me a little bit about your, your sort of thoughts on that, about holding your nerve and finding out your place in the freelance world? Yeah, I mean, so I think there are two areas. And one is this holding your nerve about your speciality and where you want to develop and where you want your career to go um, and having a real vision and thinking, yes, that's it. For me, it was youth arts. That's definitely what I want to do. And the other thing is finance. So the first thing about holding your nerve, and I, I was thinking, how am I going to, how am I going to make it known that I can do this work when I, when I've only had one contract? How do I get to the next one? And I actually, part of my promoting myself on all of my the publicity that I used in my marketing, I offered free advice. I just said, call me. Do you want some advice about youth arts? I offer free advice. <clears throat> That's kind of like having an open door so that people don't feel like they've got to ring you up and they must offer you a job. And I have to say that everybody who called me ended up employing me. So I would sit quite happily for an hour um, talking to somebody on the phone. Um, I would send people resources and information and it work always followed. So the other thing is finance. And um, a few years ago, I did a mentoring program where I was working with quite a few freelance musicians who are working with young people and managing various projects. And one of the first things that I asked them was, uh, how much do you want to earn next year? And they were shocked, yeah. <laughs> absolutely shocked. How much do you need to earn next year? Because when you're starting out, you go from one contract to another, and then it comes to that point where you've got to do either you know you've got to file your accounts and you've got to um work out your tax and you look behind and you think oh i've earned this much and not many of them are looking forward and working out how much they need to earn and as you'll know with freelancers you don't get a neat amount every month so you have to look at a year ahead or two years ahead we all have to be able to live and eat and pay the rent or pay the mortgage. So I found it's actually quite magical if you just put down on a piece of paper how much you need to earn in the next year and then kind of chunk up 
the kinds of contracts that you could go for. There's some bread and butter stuff that you can do. There are some times of year that are better than others. So with musicians, in the summer holidays, there's not much work in schools, but that's the time when they might be going on tour and using their professional musician skills. So they might be working, touring, doing their recording. Um, and it's amazing what a difference it makes if you just say, yes, I need to earn X amount this year. Yeah, absolutely. Just sort of having a strategy a plan for your own business. I think probably a lot of freelancers in the arts are in it because they're passionate about it and kind of almost put that passion before the practicality of the fact that they are running a business. They are their one person business. And sometimes that they don't sort of feel that and they probably undervalue themselves. Yeah, I mean, they're passionate and highly skilled and highly knowledgeable and work really hard at being the top of their game and should not be shy about financial planning and also charging for preparation um, and charging for feeding back and an evaluation. I've come across quite a lot of people who only charge for actual contact time and don't build in having to be paid for the time that they take to research um, certain programmes of work. I mean, I think it's, it's difficult because all freelancers do have to hit the ground running. When you get a contract, you don't get a couple of weeks settling in and a nice induction programme. <laughs> The, the, the clock is ticking on hour one, on day one. So yeah, uh, uh, freelancers bring, I mean, you're only as good as your, your last job or your last contract as well. And so freelancers are a highly conscientious workforce and work really hard at keeping abreast of news and latest development in whatever sector they're working in. Definitely. And I think it's, it's important for freelancers also to be able to reassure their clients that they're getting really good value for money, because I suspect that clients can sometimes be nervous about employing a freelancer, and particularly if it's the first time and they're not used to it. So the first thing is the money. Why are you charging that much money? They will immediately compare a day rate with the amount of money that an equivalent employee would be paid. Our income for a day has to cover a lot of different things including keeping ourselves trained and developed and all that type of thing that so I suppose part of the role of a freelancer is to sort of reassure clients and provide the information they need to show that they are effective workers and how, how do you think they can do that? Um, I think I think that that's something that freelancers are very good at I think it's probably at, at the top of the list when you're working with a client and I think that probably that's that's naturally what we freelancers are good at I think the opposite of that, the challenge is speaking truth to power and speaking truth to clients. And I have actually had a couple of situations in the past where I've been employed to work on a particular project. And it's all very well for somebody to draw together a project and then employ somebody to go and make it happen. But that freelancer is the first person who's out there in the field trying to make it happen. And it actually won't work. So you have to go back to the client and say, this isn't going to work. And that's the tough thing, I think, especially when you're worrying about whether they're going to employ you again because you're making trouble. So in terms of talking truth to power, and actually it's kind of just about being authentic in your job and giving good value and good advice, isn't it? What, would you, what advice would you give to a, you know, a new freelancer around that, around building the confidence to have um, sort of shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder conversations with clients and being seen as professional advisor as much as a, a gun for hire? 
I think it's just I think it's just be brave and be confident. You've been employed for a reason um, because you have a specialism, you have skills, knowledge and expertise. Nobody really wants to be involved in perpetuating the emperor's new clothes. It's it's a waste of resources and it, it doesn't get anybody anywhere. So I think there's a way of being quietly assertive and confident and also not waiting too long. Don't wait until it's all getting too much. Flag things up early on if you can see that there are issues or challenges. And I would think most people, most clients would respect that. It's like running any project. If you're monitoring and evaluating and reflecting on what you're doing, you should be able to flag things up pretty early on. It depends on the contract. I mean, sometimes you are the first person who's been ever asked to do whatever it is you've been hired to do and none of the commissioners or the clients have the information that you've got i wanted to pick you just mentioned reflective practice earlier and that's something that is talked a lot about in community music community arts if you're a project manager or a fundraiser or a comms person or you know somebody who isn't actually out delivering the artwork with people how important is reflective practice i think you were sort of suggesting that it's you know it's important for anybody yeah. professional yes so if you're freelancing you are quite often engaged in ongoing monitoring and evaluation which is part of the contracts that you're working on and it's related to the aims and objectives of the contract or the project that you're working on and one of the things that I learned to do was to do my own evaluation if I'm a freelancer I haven't got state you know I haven't got a board <laughs> I haven't got an organization to report to but it you can ask the people who have contracted you to comment on um, your performance you can reflect on how well you did what went well and why did that go well what didn't go very well why didn't it go very well what am I going to do differently in future if you were an employee you would have somebody who was monitoring your performance and you would be having, you know, key performance indicators, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, as yep. a freelancer, you don't get that, so you're responsible for that. But it's really good to ask clients openly about that, isn't it, too? Yep. I just drew up a little template for myself that I could use as a feedback form. They would be surprised to get it, but I would always get feedback and it was always very useful. That's a really good tip for a new freelancer, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and it gives you confidence and something to talk about, you know, in your next pitch or your next interview. So we've been talking a lot about some things that freelancers need to bear in mind, but also I suppose somebody listening to this who may not have employed a freelancer before might want to know, you know, what is the value of employing a freelancer and actually what, why do you think that freelancers are so important to this sector and what value do they bring? They bring a huge amount of value to the sector. They are the gatekeepers and holders of whole lot of skills, learning, knowledge, expertise in their sector. Freelancers don't sit around um, with their feet on the desk. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds rude to people who are not freelancers. I don't mean that. I mean, you know, I think I've mentioned before, if you're freelance, you're very conscious that you're only as good as your last job or your last contract. You need to make sure that you're abreast and ahead of everything so a kind of freelancers are mavens of collecting um, information and keeping on top of all of the latest information. So uh, I would say that most of the time, if you're employing a freelancer, you're employing somebody who makes it their business to be the best they possibly can because you're buying them. You're not investing in an organization with systems. 
freelancers are, are dynamic, fast movers and give a, a huge amount of value for money. I suppose the added value as well is that freelancers are working with a lot of different people, a lot of different organisations, and they kind of have that broad perspective, don't they, constantly? Absolutely, yeah. I think that's, for me, it's been an absolute privilege to work with so many different organisations and so many different people, including in association with other freelancers. I love getting together with other freelancers to work um, for clients there's this enormous amount this is enormous a legacy of information which on and this and expertise which on the flip side is kind of doesn't get heard nationally where there are consultation groups um, and advisory boards you don't often hear the voice of the freelancer who has been at the, um, you know, right at the grassroots of, of what's happening and has some valuable information that they could bring to the table. So that's a note for policymakers and people who are consulting about policy and practice, isn't it? Because I think that often you, you sort of think that there's a really interesting survey or consultation that you could contribute to. And then you find out that it's, it's quite difficult for you to respond because they're asking what your job title is and who you work for and yeah. trying to find out why you have a right to have an opinion on this subject. Yes. And also freelancers need to be paid to get involved in those processes. So an organisation um, might be happy for members of their team to sit on advisory boards um, because it's a two-way process. A freelancer can't necessarily easily give up some time to get involved in policy development or strategy development unless they're being paid. That's interesting. Yeah, it's always a balance, isn't it? I, I really love contributing to things like that and I go to things like that, but I often get asked, or oh, who, who are you representing and or who's sort of paying for you to be here? And I often say myself and people are kind of a bit... <gasps> my goodness Ooh, yeah <laughs> you know that's yes. unusual so <laughs> yes yeah but yeah. um but again I suppose sometimes it you do that because you not only feel you've got something to contribute but also that's part of your learning um so it's always a, a real balance for freelancers I think between saying right I need to be paid for every single thing I do but also feeling I need to reflect I need to learn constantly and this is part of it yeah, and I think that goes back to the financial planning and um, setting your rates because your rates are not only paying for your expertise on that particular job, but you're building into that, paying for your own CPD to keep yourself at the top of your game and paying for yourself to be able to afford to have some time off. So we've talked a lot about some of the sort of things that we need to bear in mind when employing freelancers and also if we're freelance in, in working with clients. If there's a young person listening to this thinking it's an option for me to go freelance, what would you say to uh, make them feel positive about the benefits of, of being freelance? Personally, I absolutely love being freelance and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think you're the same from what we, we've chatted about before in the past, Ruth. So yeah, I mean, I think one of the main things is it's such a privilege to work with so many different organisations across the course of a year when you're freelancing. You find out so much, you learn so much, you meet people, you can create different networks. And I'm the kind of person who really enjoys the mix of um, I have my little office at home and I will work very happily at home. And then I really enjoy traveling, working across the country and going to work with different organizations and visiting different organizations and meeting people. And so that absolutely suits me. 
as long as you're organised, you know, have it, having control over your own time. And I know that a colleague who got in touch when we were asking for questions and issues about this, one of the things that they enjoy is being able to actually walk the dog. No. <laughs> the, yeah. the day, having that um, control over your time and being able to work at a pace which suits you is, is certainly one of the attractions of working freelance. And kind of the workplace is going that way anyway, isn't it? From what I read about, you know, the most in- innovative organisations are looking at different ways of working and different ways of uh, sort of managing workforces in terms yeah, of making I mean, it more flexible around people's lives and yeah, how they best work. Yeah, we're all familiar with being able to access things that we need remotely and work remotely. Workplaces have to consider, consider that at times when there might, might be issues with public transport it's a very effective way of working yeah that's definitely one of the things we freelancers are really good at is getting our heads down and working I think yeah, yeah. definitely I we're good um, at that and it's that mix you know it's the it's it's the mix of being able to work freelance and get some work done and going out and visiting people and also I know a lot of freelancers are practitioner freelancers you know they might actually be delivering creative workshops or teaching young people as well as doing more of the kind of research or project management um, and, a, and a mix of everything and I think that suits quite a lot of people. So what advice would you give to freelancers to help them kind of avoid any of the negative things about being a freelancer and capitalize on all the sort of positive things and kind of grow their skills and impact on the sector? Um, so the top tip is be confident about your skills um, and your expertise and what you have to offer. And it's that financial planning. It's, it's be realistic. Give yourself some time to earn the money that you need and recognise that it doesn't come in neat little bite-sized chunks. So you have to be creative about your financial planning, but also realistic. The occupational psychologist that I worked with said um, something which kind of didn't mean, mean make any sense at the time, but it does now. If you think you need to earn X amount next year, you've got these kind of psychological antennae up and you will earn that much that year. If you don't have a goal of supporting yourself in your work, you're much more likely to drift. So there's something in you that focuses you on that balance between doing the work that you're passionate about, but also being paid so that you can live properly to do that work. Absolutely. It probably sounds really boring to a creative freelancer, but actually oh, it's all about that kind of organisational development type of thing about um, reflective yeah. practice, being clear on your goals, being financially astute and having goals for your finances as well well I too it can be it can be boring and the way that I deal with that is I always have in my cupboard a great big roll of flip chart paper and I put it on the table and I get these great big colored felt pens out and I do it in color and big (laughs) I make it fun so it can be much more fun and then you can convert that into if you need it to be in an excel spreadsheet it can but just taking the time to think about where you're going and how much you need to earn. Yeah, have fun with it. Don't make it boring. 
Yeah, so do your own away day and use yes. post-its and do, the pens that you would with a client. Work. Yes, you'll, you'll do, do a stay-in day for yourself, yeah. yeah. That sounds good, I like that idea. So Ruth, do you think that there's anything that could be done at a national or regional level to support what is going to be a growing workforce for the future um, in terms of freelancers? I know that, for example, you ran some mentoring in the past, which was really effective to help community musicians with setting up their community music businesses. So, yeah, I think that at the moment, um, opportunity, support for freelancers is quite fragmented across the country, across different sectors and for different stages in people's careers. And there are some fantastic support and mentoring programmes from time to time in different sectors and there are organizations who really do look after their freelancers and I'm not being biased but I do work for Wiltshire Music Connect and um, you know we have quite a good program of working with our associates but I think that um, unless you are a member of one of the unions there isn't really a kind of arts education union or national movement that that we could get involved in. And I think that would be somewhere, something to think about and something that could be supported. It could then be a body that, that looks at the particular issues and challenges and benefits of being a freelance, but also could act as a voice for the freelance workforce um, and a channel for all of this fantastic and valuable expertise and information that's out there in freelancers' hands. Oh, that's really interesting. And hopefully somebody listening may pick up on that. And yeah, well, something. yes. And maybe there is something and I can't see it. <laughs> I'd love to know. <laughs> it would be really useful to, to um, if anyone has examples of programs that we could, uh, programs of support, training, mentoring. Is there a union that, I, that we can't see? I don't know. That's Let us really know. interesting. Yeah, because obviously we know about the things like musicians union, etc. Yeah, that's a, a sort of question to listeners, really. Um, if you could contact um, myself or, or Ruth, and we'd be really keen to, to hear maybe about your experiences of getting professional support and development as a freelancer. And if you know of any organisations also, that would be really brilliant. So that's a good, good point. Thanks for that, Ruth. So can I come on to us? Um, we just have one question from... Liv McLennan who actually I've interviewed as part of this podcast series she's a community musician and she says this is quite a practical question actually could or should there be a place where freelancers can file all their information like DBS insurance references etc that can be accessed by different hiring organizations having to do this for many different organizations is time consuming for individual freelancers and can sometimes be overwhelming especially around busy periods like start of term and Christmas have you got any thoughts about that Yes. I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could have one single place where everybody could look us up? But it's difficult because freelancers themselves have their own portfolios of such varied work. So it's difficult to have a kind of one size suits all central place. I think that a lot of people do have their own website and you can easily park information about your DBS check and your your insurance um, somewhere on your website that, so that people can download that information or you can send them a link. I think with references, that's a different kettle of fish because many organisations, including all schools, they're required to take up their own references. So they have their own questions that they need to ask and they need references bespoke for the setting. 
And so it's a safeguarding issue. So I don't think there are many organisations that would take a kind of standing reference. So I think that's always going to be something that we have to work at. Yeah, I mean, when I saw that, I definitely felt that one of the things is that it would be important for Liv to have a space on her website that just has that information accessible to clients. Also, we haven't touched on comms, which is unusual given what I do. Yes. So I just wondered, wanted to sort of also ask you about communications for freelancers. Do you have any thoughts about some of the things that freelancers need to do? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to have an online presence. I, the first thing that I do when I'm trying to find out with somebody is Google them. And if it doesn't take you anywhere that says anything about a person in the profession or the freelance specialism that they're working in, it makes it difficult so that online presence is really important. I think keep comms coming into you as well. Sign up for newsletters and be on lists and keep on top of other people's comms. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, social media has changed communication. Oh, social media. Yeah, social media. I mean, if you're on Twitter, you need to have a, a kind of professional Twitter profile. I don't think mine is that professional, actually. So... <laughs> I don't think I'm a very good example, but... Um, Freelancers, you are your own personal brand, aren't you? So there's yes. a little bit of the personal that is relevant, I feel. Yes. Um, it yes. was nice to see you um, outside your camper van, for example. I think actually oh, that, yes. <laughs> that yes. gives a little that was... bit of a different perspective on a person. And we're here. Yeah, me actually having a holiday, yeah. Exactly. Um, but I try and keep my Twitter to some of my views and saying who I am and um, uh, a little bit of, you know, obviously liking and, uh, and retweeting things that are about mainly work and yeah. probably a little bit of politics. And Facebook for me is a way of keeping in touch with friends and family. And I don't really use Facebook for work, for example. And if I did, if I needed to, I would set up a completely different profile. Um, so I'm not going to be interacting with my professional colleagues on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. that's important to say, isn't it? Because I think sometimes people feel overwhelmed and they think they have to be on every single channel. And, and actually, you can make a choice about that. You can decide that LinkedIn or Twitter is where you're going to do your professional stuff and that you're going to keep yeah. it to, to just personal. Or some people do really like Facebook and do find that that's a really effective way of sort of reaching the people they want to work with and setting up a Facebook page might be fine for some people but the main thing is to make that choice and make a conscious choice yeah it's better to have a platform that you keep up to date because ultimately the social media algorithms are such that people won't see your posts anyway if you're not doing much on there so all about making choices I mean the whole the whole comms thing for me is it's it's a marketing mix isn't it it's a cocktail of things that you do you are your own brand and it's how you conduct yourself at conferences it's how you communicate with people by email and on the telephone and being as creative as you are in your work with your marketing and promotion yeah, that's true, isn't it? I th there's a huge potential to be really, really creative in your comms. And sometimes people are a bit afraid of doing that. But, you know, if you are a creative person, bring it into your comms as well. Yeah, definitely. Finally, Ruth, I just thought we'd turn our minds to the people contracting freelancers. And I wondered if you could finish with some pieces of advice for those people to help them to support and nurture this growing part of the workforce. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say don't treat freelancers like alien beings from out of space. If you're, if you're having CPD, include freelancers in the CPD, include freelancers in 
team meetings or staff meetings or and planning and try and recognize that they may need some support in order to be involved they may need travel expenses and be happy to be there because they're getting something out of it i think involving them in the workforce like you would involve any other member of your team could be quite valuable that's a really brilliant tip because i think often that won't cost any more for an organization but actually somebody for, as a freelancer can can bring a lot of value to to a cpd session can't they just by being there absolutely yeah and also then they might feel a bit more loyalty and uh, sort of inclusion well thanks ever so much for your time ruth we'll have to finish there but it's been really useful talking to you about freelancing and you've kind of helped to shine a light on the lives of a freelancer and some things that people going into freelancing might need to take into account as well as those people employing them so it's been really useful and lovely as always to talk to you Thank you for having me. You're really welcome. And if you want to read more about Ruth, I'll share some information about her and some various links about freelancing in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. That's the end of our show this time. Thank you for listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. And make sure to subscribe so that you get to hear about future episodes. If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to know more about me and how I help music and creative organisations through communications, then visit writing-services.co.uk and get in touch. Thanks for listening and have a great week.